0: Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Friends, I would ask you to find Acts chapter 1 and your copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 1. And as you're finding that, I simply want to point out something about uh, a dear lady in our church that I want to recognize, and that's Stephanie Lauren for five years of faithful service Managing our Holy Ground Cafe, and I will tell you, I love the Lauren family. They are servant leaders par excellence. And when you see Stephanie today, as well as her family, just let them know how much you appreciate their service at Crossgate Church. You know, I will tell you, there's a lot of things I love about this church, but one of the things that brings me the most joy is when I have the opportunity to serve in Holy Grounds on Wednesday nights. Of course, bringing food out to the tables and so forth. But but the joy comes when I'm back in the kitchen. I love the guys back in the kitchen. We have a wonderful time, and the 930 service probably would not have gotten this as well, but I will tell you, this last Wednesday night, I looked over at Jason as he was flipping burgers and doing his thing, and I said, Jason, kiss my grits. Some of y'all will remember that television show from a while ago, Mel's Diner. But that said, uh, I I saw a headline this uh, week that I thought was very interesting. Let me put it up on the screen for you, and maybe you can guess about whom it was speaking. It was an incredible run, an amazing string of big, high-profile wins. He was considered the GOAT of coaching teams. His legacy will never be rivaled, and then he was gone. Let's leave that up there for just a moment. Now who's that talking about? Nick Saban? Nope. Bill Belichick? Nope. Who do you think that's talking about? Jesus Christ. You think about that. He had an incredible run while he was on the earth. An amazing string of big, high-profile wins. He was considered the goat of coaching teams. He had the team of teams and his disciples. His legacy will never be rivaled. Poof, and then he was gone. Ascended back to heaven. And yet before Jesus returned to heaven, he had some very pointed words for his followers. Last week, In Matthew 28, we saw part of his farewell address when he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Today, in Acts chapter 1, we're going to see a similar portion of his overall final remarks before he ascended to heaven, and we would do well to pay attention to what Jesus Christ says in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Look at this. When the disciples had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight so we are continuing today the teaching series we kicked off last week simply entitled many more in 24. you know the purpose of crossgate church is very simple we make more and better disciples for jesus christ we've been talking about that pretty much every day since i came as your pastor over four years ago and today we're going to highlight that portion of our purpose that says God has called us to make more, to lead more people to faith in Jesus Christ, to see more men, women, boys, and girls putting their faith and their trust in Jesus. But today specifically, Acts chapter 1, we are going to be reminded of the power to make more disciples. Because it wasn't simply that Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. Remember, before he ever said that, he said the Holy Spirit will come upon you And you will receive power, and only then can can you be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. In fact, that's our first point this morning. Look at this. You can follow along in the the fill-in-the-blank notes. The Holy Spirit power precedes our witness. Holy Spirit power precedes our witness. Now understand this. God's heart has been for His Spirit to dwell inside of His people. But it was not always that way. And I'll give you a little backstory here. In the Old Testament, initially, God had a particular place, a geographical location where His Spirit dwelt on the earth. And God's people were expected to come from wherever they were at and come to that place. Initially in the Old Testament, that was called the tabernacle. It was a, a tent. And they would take it and move it and move it around as they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. Ultimately, when God's people came into the city of Jerusalem, uh, Solomon, King Solomon, built a temple, a hardened structure, a temple in which God's presence dwelt. But still, the people had to leave wherever they were located and go to this geographical place. Now, in the Old Testament, there were some select individuals on whom the Spirit of God rested and, and, and in whom the Spirit of God found lodging, prophets, priests, priests kings, just key and essential people, but average folks like you and me did not have the Holy Spirit back in the Old Testament, as as we as followers of Jesus can have the Holy Spirit today, because in the New Testament, God said, I want everybody who follows Jesus Christ to have the Holy Spirit inside of them. Listen to Joel chapter 2, listen to this promise that, by the way, was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit. Now let's understand something about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, specifically terminology. All right, and the first thing I want to talk about is what's called in the Bible the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, different Christian denominations and different tribes within Christianity teach different things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me just be very plain with you here and straight forward at Crossgate Church. We teach and we believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place at the moment of conversion, The moment when a man or a woman places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receives eternal life. It doesn't happen later. It doesn't happen at a different time. The baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place in the life of anyone who has trusted Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why. First of all, let me give you some scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. He's not just talking to a few select individuals. He's talking to an entire church at this point. He's saying we're all baptized into one body through the Holy Spirit. Let me give you another scripture, Romans 8, verse 9. Those who do not have, this is the converse argument here, those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't even belong to Jesus. So that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, we believe, because we believe that's what the Bible teaches, that it happens at conversion. However, there is also a concept known as the filling of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this is something we see in the Bible that takes place repeatedly over and over and over again as people yield themselves over to to the rule of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And that's something you have to do on a regular basis, friends, if you didn't already Know that, right? Because, see, when you're saved and you trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you to be resident. But on a daily basis, as we yield ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit becomes president, as someone once said. You say, what's the biblical evidence for this, Pastor Phil? Let me give you some biblical evidence. And this is not in the notes. I'm just going to rattle these off. Okay, so first of all, you've got Acts chapter 4, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, he had already been baptized with the Holy Spirit earlier in the book of Acts, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Later on in Acts chapter 4, all of the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7, Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. Later on in Acts chapter 13, Paul the apostle, who had already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, was filled with with the Holy Spirit. And then later in the chapter, the disciples were filled repeatedly, over and over again, as people went back and and and, and re uh, bowed their 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 mind, their heart, their will to the Spirit of God. You say, Pastor Phil, was that just for people back then? No. That was for us today as well. Here's the command: Ephesians 5, verse 18. Look at this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's the analogy. Just as someone takes in uh, alcohol into their body, eventually it's going to take over their mind and and, and their functions, and and so now the alcohol is really going to be controlling them. He says, don't do that, but allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, every part of you, and let your mind and your heart and your mouth and your tongue and all of these other things be under the control of the Spirit of God rather than under your own control. You say, well, Pastor Phil, I mean, if we're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how exactly does someone become filled with the Spirit anyway? Well, again, we can always ask, what does the Bible say? First word to think about is the word thirst, because Jesus said in John chapter 7, look at this, John chapter 7, Jesus said this, he stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Jesus said, you've got to be thirsty if you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and I mean really experience the power of God in your life, like a river of water flowing out of your heart. You've got to be thirsty for God. And I know there's different levels of thirst Some of y'all are going to sit down and watch the Cowboys play Green Bay this afternoon. It's going to be 20 degrees outside, 15 degrees outside, and you're going to be sitting on the couch saying, you know, I'm kind of thirsty. I think I'd like a glass of sweet tea. Well, you're not really thirsty. Come on, I mean, it's freezing outside, and you're drinking an ice-cold drink, right? Now, some of you guys played football in high school. Remember two-a-days in August, right? Two-a-day practices. It's hot, sweltering, uh, just unbelievably. your, Your mouth is parched. And when coach said it's time to take a water break, you couldn't wait to get over to that coach. Oh, I'm so thirsty, I'm about to die. That's thirst, y'all. And God fills those people who are truly thirsty for him. Again, not in the notes, but I'll just give you a couple of scriptures. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Psalm 63, the psalmist said, God, you are my God earnestly i seek you my body longs for you my soul thirsts for you see it all begins with a thirst may i tell you something that you may already know or maybe you don't right now you have all of god that you want did you know that you right now have all of god that you want the question is do you want more are you thirsting for more of God's control and power and, and, and presence in your life? Because if you are, God will answer that thirst and give of you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Ask is the second word. Think about the power of asking. Look at chapter 11 in, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Note this about the Bible. In the Bible, we are never commanded to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're never commanded to seek the sealing of the Holy Spirit, for that matter. But we are commanded to seek the filling and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to whom is it given? To those who ask. You say, okay, Pastor Phil, so we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit." And we're supposed to thirst for God's presence, and we're supposed to ask for the filling of the Spirit, but how, how would we know if we actually are? Because it's not really a feeling. We're not talking about an emotional experience here, although emotions may accompany an absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit. But what are some of the marks? I mean, what, what will be happening in my life is an indicator that God's Spirit truly is filling me. Let me give you three things. Very specific, first of which is this, a prevailing victory over sin. What sin so easily besets you? What sin over and over and over and over again eats your lunch, and you simply feel like you can't beat it? See, the filling of the Holy Spirit gives you a prevailing victory, an increasing victory over that sin, and all sin. That's not to say that somehow through the power of the Holy Spirit we become perfect or sinless here on this earth that's never going to happen till you step into God's presence in heaven but I will tell you in the life of a man or a woman who's filled with the Holy Spirit there will be a prevailing victory over persistent sins if that's not true of you and and you're spinning your tires in the mud and the grime of sin you're probably not filled with the Holy Spirit here's the second thing not only do we find a prevailing victory over sin, we, we find increasing love for others. Is, is there an increasing love for other people, a compassion, a kindness? Is that a reality in your life? And listen, we're not just talking about the people that you like and who like you back, and your kids, and your family, and and the people that are close to you. We're talking about an increasing love for people that you don't even know, and you don't even like. But nevertheless, there is an increasing love. A a massive mark of the Spirit-filled life is an increasing love. But here's probably the biggest one, quite frankly, an expanding witness for Jesus. An expanding witness for Jesus. Remember what we said last week? See, the Holy Spirit, when, when the Holy Spirit is filling us, He gives us a soul consciousness. Remember what we said soul consciousness was next last week. Soul consciousness is when you are aware that every single person that you meet and every single person you interact with is in one of two categories, either saved or lost, saved or lost, and that the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you to get into that person's life, not get out just yesterday shara and i were eating lunch with some dear members of our church at a restaurant in town and i saw a gentleman about three booths over wearing a retired army warrant officer hat i said i need well really the holy spirit said to me you need to get in that guy's life i mean i already had a mutual connection i'm retired from the military he's retired from the military and so as we've kind of Finished up lunch over here. I just went over there and said, hey man, tell me about your time in the army. And, and, and the Holy Spirit just spoke to me right there sitting in the booth. You need to get in that guy's life. And so we struck up a conversation. Turned out that we had some mutual friends in the army ranger community. And uh, I got his card. He got my card. And God willing, I'm going to eat lunch with that guy in the next week or two. Again, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life, prompts us to get into people's lives, not out. See, that, that's one of the marks of the Spirit-filled life life that you will be you, you will have an expanding witness for, for Jesus okay an expanding witness for Jesus now I know some people when they hear me talking about prevailing victory over sin and increasing love for people and and, and an expanding witness for Jesus you say you know pastor that's just not my personality that's just not who I am I mean to talk to somebody about Jesus and I don't even really know them that well, I mean, I just don't feel comfortable with that. Well, hello, neither do I. All the more reason why we must be filled with the Spirit. It's not your personality that leads people to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit in and through you. All of these excuses we come up with, oh, God, I can't love these people. Well, of course you can't love these people. It's not you anyway. It's the Holy Spirit, the power of God in and through you. That's the Spirit-filled life. You can't live the Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit of God in and through you. You say, dang, Pastor, I mean, I thought this was a Southern Baptist church. And uh, here you are preaching about the Holy Spirit. I mean, you, you sound like somebody from another denomination. Well, it is true. We, we, we have a legacy of, of a Southern Baptist legacy. Uh, used to be Second Baptist Church, downtown Hot Springs. Uh, probably one of the greatest decisions this church has ever made in the last 20 years was to come out here and specifically change the name to Crossgate Church. Uh, we, we still partner with the Southern Baptist Convention uh, for, for local and global missions. Uh, the, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 is our statement of faith at our church. But I will tell you, when, when they changed the name long before I got here, to Crossgate Church, what that did is that that opened our aperture up significantly so that now we have all kinds of people coming here. I I had a great conversation with a a couple that had come from a Pentecostal background in Next Steps uh, just uh, last Sunday. We've got all kinds of people coming here. But here's the thing. When I got saved, when I was 17 years old, I came to faith in Jesus Christ in a solid Bible-teaching church. Yes, it was a Southern Baptist church. But I will tell you this. There was almost an implicit messaging when I was coming up as a brand new Christian in that church that said something like this. Don't talk too much about the Holy Spirit. And definitely look with suspicion upon anybody that gets a little too excited about the Holy Spirit. And that that was kind of how I was raised as a brand new Christian. Uh, You know, uh, Many of you know I'm writing a book right now on a man named Adrian Rogers, my all-time favorite preacher, pastor, hero, And uh, as I've done a ton of research on this, brother, over the last 18 months, I've come across some real golden nuggets that, that, that was from sermons from back in the 1960s. Listen to this quote. This is one of the best quotes in the book. Either when I was a young Christian, I was deaf, or preachers did not preach the fullness of the Spirit. I never heard it. I was born again in a Southern Baptist church, went to a Southern Baptist college, went to a Southern Baptist seminary, And yet I was out and preaching for about five years before I understood how to be filled with the Spirit, that God does not want me to do anything for Him. Rather, He wants to do something in and through me. you got to understand something about Adrian Rogers. He was the Baptist godfather. I mean, you talk about the the Baptist patriarch, the elder statesman, Mr. Baptist. And yet here he's saying, you know what? I came up in this denomination... And they didn't equip me on how to be filled with the Spirit and live the Spirit-filled life. That's a very telling quote, is it not? But here, at the end of the day, guess what? At Crossgate Church, it doesn't matter what the Baptists say. doesn't matter what the Pentecostals say. doesn't matter what Phil Kramer says. Or it doesn't matter what you say either. What's the only thing that really matters at Crossgate Church? What does the Bible say? Yes, and the Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the command. That's the command. Now, I want you to think about this. There is a necessity of God's power. We simply cannot live the Christian life without the power of God. Otherwise, it's just going to be us trying to do things on our own. Case in point. Here's a great little story. A little absurd, but I think you'll get the point. Let's say we go down to the Ford dealership, and let's say a guy goes down there and buys a brand spanking new Ford F-150 Raptor. How many of you guys want to drive a Raptor? Man, just drive up and down Central in a Raptor. And he has this beautiful, beautiful pickup truck. Only problem is, he doesn't know there's a motor under the hood. And so everywhere he goes, he's got to push this pickup truck everywhere he goes, pushing it uphill. Occasionally he gets to jump in and coast downhill, but then he's got to keep pushing this truck. Oh, he's proud of it. I mean, he's happy to have it, and He goes around, he pushes it around, shows it off to all his friends. Man, check out this interior, and man, look at these wheels and tires. Man, this truck is awesome. And yet, deep down inside, sometimes he wishes he didn't have it. Because this thing is becoming a burden to him. It's almost becoming a drudgery to him to push this truck everywhere, until one day, somebody says, hey man, you know, there's this little button here next to the steering wheel, and guess what if you press that button the motor comes to life and now you don't have to carry this thing around it'll carry you around like it was intended to and now he's driving around man he's he's on cloud he's in heaven man he's like i can't believe it this thing goes on its own i don't have to push it you know that's where a lot of you are that's where a lot of christians are at you yes you're saved you've trusted jesus but now you're trying to live the Christian life and get victory over sin and love your neighbor as, you, as yourself and, and be an effective witness, but you're trying to do all of that in your own strength and not in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Good luck with that. No wonder you're miserable. It's an important thing to think about. Now, think about this on the personal level, okay? The, the personal level. Here's a quote from Ron Dunn, one of the great preachers of the 20th century, who said this. He was pastoring in Texas at the time, A young man in my church asked me one time, in your opinion, what is your primary obligation as pastor of this church? He said, well, I don't have to think about that. I said, my primary responsibility as pastor of this church is to make certain that Ron Dunn is filled with the Holy Spirit. My primary responsibility is not to be an administrator, not to be a promoter, not to marry and bury, not even to preach. My primary responsibility is to be filled with the Spirit to have the rivers of living water flowing out of me. And as a result of that, the people will be blessed out of the overflow of my life. Now, let me tell you something. That was a pastor talking. But the principle applies to everybody. Husband, if you're not filled with the Spirit, you are a hindrance to your family. Wife, if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit and yielding yourself to the Spirit's control in and through you, you are a hindrance to your family home students teenagers if you are not filled with the holy spirit you are a hindrance to your parents friends i will tell you if you are a member of this church you are not filled with the holy spirit you are a hindrance to god's work at crossgate church now on the individual level again i had to learn this the hard way because for many years My my default was to minister and to lead and to do things for God in my own strength and not in the strength of God in and through me. Uh, Some time ago, I simply came to the end of myself, and God finally brought me to a place where I was willing to say, God, I desperately need you, and I will tell you this. I know I've shared this at least once before with you, but one of the most profound moments in my entire life happened right here. During our prayer partner time, I was surrounded by prayer partners just as we had our prayer time this morning. I was kneeling. I don't remember who was praying. I don't remember what they prayed. I don't even remember what the sermon was about that Sunday. But I was kneeling down, and as I was praying, God said to me, You have nothing to offer these people. As the pastor of this church, you personally have nothing to offer these people except me and my power in and through you. I said, you're right, God. I have nothing to offer these people except you and your power in and through me. Now, I will tell you this. If God had come to me and said that 10 years ago, I think I would have agreed, kind of, but I would have still pushed back on God. And I would have said, yeah, that's true, God, but, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I guess I'm a decent preacher. And you know, God, I mean, I do have a PhD and three master's degrees. And you know, God, I mean, I, I, I've been to a lot of leadership training over the years, and I've worked with some of the greatest leaders this country has ever produced. And well, I, you know, I have this, and I do this, and God would if I would have said that to God, he would have said, Crucify it. Crucify it. Now, we oftentimes talk about crucifying the flesh and all the bad stuff in our lives, but the truth is, God also wants us to crucify the best of who we are. Because without, without the power of God, even the best of who we are becomes a distraction and makes us think that we can do everything just fine and we don't need the filling of the, the, filling of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's a distraction. This is at the individual level. That's something every single one of us needs desperately. But now what about our church? What about the congregational level? The congregational level. Are we going to depend on God at Crossgate Church as a church body? Or will we depend on the many things that we have going for us? Our ministries, our technologies, our our campus, our our facilities, our, our perks, All of the good things we have going on here, will we depend on those, or will we simply beg God to do something in our church and through our church? Begging God in desperation to show up. Again, I guess this is Adrian Rogers Sunday, but here's another quote I dug up in my research. I love this. He said, again, this was 55 years ago that he said this, a great church, in God's estimation, will have great power, not great power and influence, And not great power in money, but great supernatural power in the Holy Spirit of God. And if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we're just playing church. Many churches are organized, and many churches are large, and many churches meet their budget, but but they do not have the supernatural power of God that ought to characterize a great church. Then he said this, to be blunt, if the Holy Spirit were to die suddenly, which is impossible, many churches would meet the next Sunday and carry on the program and never know the difference. Never know the difference. Church, we, as I said just a moment ago, we've got so many good things going for us. I mentioned our campus and our facility last Sunday. Incredibly blessed to have this space in which to do ministry and to reach people uh, far beyond our campus we have resources i shared with the 930 service just we we, we have uh, just tremendous resources based on the faithfulness of god's people to return a portion of what god has given them back to the lord through the local church uh, i shared a few statistics with our um, with our first service and, and this is some of the verbiage that that most people aren't even thinking about this in terms of leading a church uh, many times, church leadership experts will talk about per capita giving, per capita giving, and that's basically where you just take whatever is given in a church and you spread it out across the, the total number of people that are, that are there, and that's how you kind of generate your per capita giving number. Uh, the average church, the average church in the United States, the per capita giving is probably about $35, $35, $37 per capita. Uh, at Crossgate Church, we're usually hovering around 60 Dollars that per capita God has blessed us with resources God has blessed us with so many things but I'm going to ask you a question church is it possible that we become so comfortable with our building and our resources and our per capita and all the rest that we forget to depend on God and be desperate for God forgetting about the power of God neglecting the filling of the Holy Spirit and simply being comfortable and casual with where we are at my heart is burdened. My heart is burdened because in, in, deep down inside, for all the things that we have going for us, I do not believe we as a church as a whole are desperate for God. Desperate for God. One of the bellwethers, one, one of the indicators that, that a person or a congregation is desperate for God is the level to which they are willing to, to cry out to God in prayer. That's why I always say we want to be a praying church, not just a church that prays. And and I'm so grateful for our prayer partner network. I I would have to talk to Pastor Keith, but I believe the majority of our life groups are currently involved in the prayer partner network. And for all that are, thank you, thank you, thank you. But there are a couple of other touch points that we have uh, put in place over the last 18 months at Crossgate Church as well uh, for prayer. House of Prayer here in the worship center at 6 p.m. on on Wednesday evenings uh, prior to our uh, events and activities kicking off at 6.30, and then we also have house of prayer in our loft area Sunday mornings from 8.30 to 9. Uh, we come, we spend some time in, just with the Lord, spend some time in prayer, and, and just reaffirming our dependence on God. Uh, and, and this is where my heart is burdened, church, and I'm just going to be flat out with you. Uh, I realize that, that the, the house of prayer schedule that we have is not, not everybody can attend that, Right? Sometimes people have small children or, or there's other needs. You can't get off of work in time or, or what have you. But I will tell you this. As your pastor, my heart is burdened on Wednesday nights when I, when I make my transition from Holy Grounds and I come in here at 6 o'clock for House of Prayer and, and there's tons of people milling about out there. They're finished with their meals. They're chit-chatting, whatever, love the fellowship. It's a great thing. And then I come in here and there's just a handful of people in the House of Prayer. Sunday mornings, again, some very faithful prayer warriors, but, but, but few compared to our overall congregation. That tells me we are not desperate for God. We as a church are not desperate for God. Let me ask you a question. If the Holy Spirit were to die tomorrow, and that's an impossibility, but just hypothetically, if the Holy Spirit were to die tomorrow, would Wednesday night look any different? If the Holy Spirit were to die tomorrow, next Sunday, when we gather on this campus, would, would anyone even notice? It's a great question, isn't it? Because as we've seen in the Scripture, Acts chapter 1, Holy Spirit power precedes our witness. And Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. By the way, that's how we know that that's our priority. Here's our other point. Praise God, the second point's not as long as the first one, (laughs) and all God's people said amen. Our witness is our priority. Now, you think about this. Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, he could have said anything. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will receive power, and I want you to go out and feed all the hungry people or clothe all the naked people Or heal all the sick people, all of which are very good and God-honoring. But no, out of all the things he could have said, he said, and you will be my witnesses. You know what that tells me? Being a witness is a priority. It ought to be a priority if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But I guarantee it will not be a priority unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, what is a witness anyway, pastor? We're going to unpack this a little more in the coming weeks, but here's the basics. A witness is someone who verbally points others to Jesus, who verbally explains the what and the why of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and who verbally invites others to repent, believe, and follow Jesus. That's it. It's so simple. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer@crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.